Jenny Pearson is originally from Salisbury, but now lives in Durham, where she splits her time between writing and teaching. Her successful debut novel, The Super Miraculous Journey of Freddie Yates, was published in 2020, and her second novel, The Incredible Record Breakers, was out earlier this year. Jenny chatted recently to Nikki Gamble about her story so far. We've got a lot to talk about, but uh, first of all, let's give our listeners uh, an overview of what The Incredible Record Smashers is all about. Okay, so it's the story of Lucy and her best friend Sandish. Now, Lucy, she likes fixing things, so she'll fix games controllers, TVs, lamps and sell them at a car boot sale with her auntie Sheila. Now, the one thing that Lucy is having trouble fixing is her mum because she's suffering from depression and Lucy really wants to find a way of fixing that. And it's at a car boot sale where she goes with her friend Sandish where she finds a photo in an old album and it's of her mum looking incredibly happy. And she's with this um, guy that Lucy doesn't recognise. On the back is written, you are my happiness. And Lucy thinks this is it. This guy's the answer to making my mum happy. Luckily, Sandesh, who is a massive world record fan, um, knows exactly who it is. It's Paul Castellini, who is an old 80s pop star and now head judge of a new show called The Incredible Record Smashers. So Lucy immediately thinks she's got to get on this show and meet Paul Castellini and invite him back to theirs for tea. And to do that, she's got to break a world record. So her and Sandish set out to try and find a world record that Lucy can break. And she realises it's not quite as easy as she first thought. We're going to talk about records in a little while, but I want to dig a bit deeper into the characters, first of all. We'll talk about Lucy shortly, but I love the friendship between her and Sandish. You know, it's an incredibly warm relationship. And in in a sense, he's there to help her out, but he also has some problems of his own, maybe not quite as severe, but there are expectations on him to be a certain kind of child and to have certain kinds of aspirations. Yeah. They might not match what he really wants to do. No, and I think Lucy struggles to see that he's going through his own issues as well, which I hope came across in the book, because Often it takes us a little while and children a little while to realise that there is stuff going on outside their immediate problems. Um, and Sandesh, yeah, he loves music and his mum's a classical pianist who goes around the world and they would like for him to follow in her path. But he prefers a bit more rock and pop and that's how he wants to express himself and he offers to help Lucy he suggests that maybe he could be the person to to set a world record to break a world record but she's not having any of it because she wants to be the person who helps her mum and even though he's being a brilliant friend and it would do something for him as well she can't quite see that to start with. It's true that one of the things that she has to learn on this journey of hers is that sometimes you can't do everything by yourself Exactly. I think that she just is very, and I think this comes a little bit from me, she gets an idea in her head and she's very blinkered and she's very on that one route and it's difficult to see what's going on around you. And I think that she's, and this is where she has a realisation at the end of the book, she thinks that she's trying to help her mum find her happiness and really it's all about her own that she's searching for. And 
with Sandesh by her side and her auntie Sheila, she realises that she's got lots of things in her life that, that make her happy. Let's not brush auntie Sheila under the carpet <laughs> because she's really important for this story. The story is dealing with some very real and very difficult issues. And Auntie Sheila, in a way, stops this story from becoming too difficult to deal with because she adds this lightness and she's an amazing character. Tell us a little bit about her. I've been a teacher for 16 years and I've dealt with kids that I know about who have suffered bereavements and have parents of mental health issues, all sorts of problems. And those are the ones that you know, you don't know about them all. You try and catch all, but you can't. And you always want them to have somebody in their life that can act as an anchor. And Auntie Sheila is based very much on my mum, actually. And she kind of attacks life, really, but she's terribly scared of it as well. She's worried of things going wrong. She's a catastrophizer. And she has this sanctuary shed, which is ready in case there's an Armageddon. In fact, we actually had to edit quite a lot on that because I'd written it way before last year. And there was reference to a global pandemic, which came from something my mum had predicted when there was bird flu. My sister and I found a proper gas mask with nozzles and everything in the cupboard. And we were like, why has she got this? Um, anyway, she had to get rid of it because we kept teasing her. And now she was a little bit like, well, who was right? But yeah, I think Auntie Sheila draws all those things where she really cares. She doesn't want anything to go wrong for people. And I thought it was just really important that Lucy did have that one person who was there to catch her and there to look after her. It's the quirks, that, you know, it's the storing of the food. The fact that she had this canoe that becomes a bed when Lucy goes to stay with yeah. her. I'd have loved a canoe bed. Exactly. Well, she because she collects all this, these things that she sells at the car boot sale. She's got this canoe that she can't shift. So she's sort of used it for a bed for Lucy. And she's always dressed in the most colourful and bizarre fashion I really enjoyed um, writing her clothes actually every time it was something to do with a fruit or vegetable that I ended up describing her as because I think that that you know they're quite bright and vibrant that's very interesting in in big letters on my notebook here I've got fruit and vegetables not only in relation to um, Auntie Sheila but how fruit and vegetables can just be so funny I mean you have a watermelon in this story called Wilbur Wilbur. kumquats feature as well and just that word kumquats is so funny yeah so as a little bit about the three main characters if you like and the story fits neatly into a number of sections the first one is that it's very much about finding a record to break I think that was going to be quite straightforward, but but it isn't, is it? <laughs> no, there's some wonderful things out there. And I think world records really do like grab kids' imagination. And the idea came from my William, who's my eldest. He loved facts, but he also is massively into world records. And I think children, when they're talking to adults, are always trying to find a way into a conversation, whether it be, mummy, did you know that pigs can't, look at the stars or mommy there's a man who has fingernails that are almost two meters long um and I just thought what a brilliant way something to put into a book that can grab kids and actually we should say that this is uh, Sandesha's favorite thing as well 
at the beginning of the book, he gives a long talk about himself. <laughs> and he's told by one of his classmates that, he, that he's boring. So he commits to only ever saying interesting things after that. And the interesting things are these world records. World records. <laughs> I know. I I do feel for him there because there's nothing worse than you know being silenced in that way and telling being told that you're boring and trying to find these interesting things. But um I suppose that was, you know, those, those first year six presentations, which I've done with my classes many years, where they come and they talk about something that they're passionate about and it's their chance to share a little bit of them. And it's really good for their confidence at the end of the year before they go off to year seven. And you you learn things as a teacher that you didn't you didn't know and yeah so Sandesh talks all about these world records and then poor Lucy gets up and shows her demonstration on how to fix something and that's when one of the boys says to her if you're so good at fixing things Lucy why can't you fix your mum and you know that that really kind of kickstarts her journey into really trying to find something to help. So let's hear about one of these records then. I'm going to read the bit where she tries to break. And this is an actual world record. It's for 100 metre hurdles whilst wearing flippers and a snorkel. And because they don't have hurdles, she's borrowing the crates of ox tongues and things from her auntie shed to to hurdle over. And um, Sandish is going to oversee. You'll need to cover the distance in under four seconds to have any chance of breaking the record. I looked down the length of our track and said, that can't be right. And he said, you need to take the snorkel off if you want me to understand you, which was a fair enough comment. I pulled my mask up and removed the tube from my mouth. I said, there's no way I'm going to leap over one crate of sardines, one box of ox tongues and another box of inflatable flamingos all the way down to the drain cover outside number 47 in flippers and a snorkel in under four seconds. Sandesh pulled the mask away from my head let it spring back onto my face, which luckily for him didn't hurt, and said, that's a rubbish attitude for a record smasher. I suppose he was right about that too. I had to at least believe it was possible. I set about getting myself in the record smashing zone by doing a bit of high knees running on the spot, followed by a few lunges and then some squats. I saw Mrs Norris from across the way looking at me through her neck curtains. I shouted, Watch on, Mrs Norris, you're about to see history in the making. But I doubt it sounded like that because of my mouth being full of snorkel. After I was fully warmed up and raring to go, I gave Sandesh a double thumbs up. I couldn't be sure because both my mask and my glasses had got a bit steamed up, but I thought he was smiling, a very proud smile at me. Looking back now, I think it may have been more of a smirk, but I didn't realise it at the time. Sandesh stood at the finish line and gave his starting orders, which was a countdown from four. I just let him get on with it this time. Four, three, two, one, go. And I was off. Turns out running in flippers requires quite a bit of adaptation to your regular running technique. Over the course of the 20 metres, I experimented with a few different styles. I began with exceptionally high knees, but that got a bit tiring. So I switched to swing my legs in sideways semicircles, but I wasn't getting anywhere fast like that. I was going to try longer strides, but by then I'd reached the crate of sardines and my first jump. At the last minute, I bottled actually leaping over it and decided to leapfrog it instead. I did not think I was going to achieve a clean landing. 
but I did. And I was up and slapping my feet across the tarmac once more. At the ox tongues, I went for a commando style roll over the top, which allowed me to maintain my rhythm. Things seemed to be going really rather well. I was feeling surprisingly confident and the end was in sight. I only had a few more metres to go before the flamingos. Because of all the success I was having, I thought I might as well attempt a proper hurdle and finish up in style like a top-class record smasher. My first leg cleared the flamingos, but the flipper of my training leg caught the edge, flipped the box over, and before I knew it, my world went luminous pink and I was upside down with my head in a box of tropical poultry, with my own web feet bicycling madly above me. It took Sandwich quite some time to leap into action and help me out. I'd like to think he was shocked into inactivity rather than enjoying the moment. I pulled my mask up off my face. How did I do? It's quite a perilous task for Lucy. Uh, One of the records that she tries to break is to do with having a number of clothes pegs attached to your face. And it accidentally gets pegged onto an eyelid, which I just found both incredibly funny, but I did feel for her. Her pain. I put her through it, don't I, the poor girl? She, she, you know, they're not easy, these record-breaking things, are they? They're, just, they're, they're, they're world records for a reason. The record-breaking is great, but that's not the only thing that happens in the story here. How did your initial idea develop into a story, and how did that grow? For me, all my stories start with character, actually. So I had Lucy in my head, and I had this idea of this young girl who really wanted to help her mum and how it's a really difficult thing to say how all these things intertwine in it a lot of it comes for me in in the writing and I really wanted to have like a a really because I see so many wonderful kid friendships in the classroom and with all my books I really try and get that across on the page I really wanted to show how brilliant kids are at being there for each other when times aren't great but Sandish is willing to wear a spangly gold leotard pretty much for her to help her get what she wants. And then the mental health issue, because as we said before, you know, there are lots of Lucy's in classrooms up and down the country who are dealing with this. I think it's, you know, 2.9 million kids with parents who are suffering with mental health issues. And it's not just them dealing with it, it's equipping their friends with the vocabulary and the language to be able to talk to them about it, just opening up conversations in the classrooms and getting children knowing where to go for help. Osborne was so brilliant because they found our time, a charity who have put a wonderful thing in the back of the book where kids can go to for support. And also it's great for teachers to see that as well. You know, there are these people who are specifically able to give support to kids who are struggling at home because their parents are struggling. And one of the things that really kind of leapt out at me was they want to get support in there to stop those kids, you know, suffering from mental health issues themselves. And you can see how it can be that you've got to find ways to stop that cycle. You said something there that I found really interesting. And I think it applies to all kinds of social issues that arise in school. And that's how you mobilise other children in the class to help deal with those problems rather than just focus on the child that's having those problems. I think that's really key. All of these issues are, they're community problems, aren't they? With depression or with someone who's grieving, it's, they've got needs that need to be met by the people around them and people want to help. And it's just, we've got to find ways that we can help people help. 
Can I just ask you, Jenny, because I know you are still working two days a week Mm -hmm. as a teacher. At the point that we're recording this, obviously things are trying to get back to normal after a pandemic, Mm -hmm. after a series of lockdowns. Do you have any experience that tells you that these issues are going to be exacerbated over the next few years? Or have you found that children are much more resilient? Children are generally very resilient. You know, we have had a bereavement in our class, which is incredibly difficult in lockdown when you can't see those kids. I think schools are great. I think teachers know when you need to get people in to help. We've got a brilliant school counsellor. And, you know, I think we could all speak to him at some points. And actually, he does sit in the staff room and you find people just loitering around to ask him a few questions. Do I think things are going... I think adults are going to struggle with this harder. I think kids are generally quite good, but we mustn't forget that there are some children who have had an incredibly hard lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I think that there will be kids that we've got to keep an eye out as, you know, as a community. Um, I hope, I hope generally children are all going to be okay. I do trust in teachers in picking up on those issues and and helping them. I do. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So one of the things that I wanted to say was how, you know, reading books like this are an important part of that healing process because they're lighthearted, but they deal with difficult issues. They open up the possibility for conversation. And when you read aloud a book like this or, or, you know, similar, you're developing and fostering a sense of community that makes it very safe. For yeah, that conversation. And I think laughter does do that, doesn't it? I do believe that if you can make a child laugh, they, you're kind of building up a trust because you, you've got them to open up that emotion. So they almost trust you. You made me laugh. And then you can explore some deeper themes. And then they know that you're going to catch them again and you're going to give them something to laugh about or something joyous or something fun afterwards. Do you enjoy reading aloud to your class? Oh my gosh, it is the best part of the day. Like, And it's not just because there's no planning or marking. It is just the most joyous thing to, you know, either sit on the carpet with some kids or read to a class and go on some fantastic adventures together and to talk about them and to laugh together or be quite scared um, or cry, which is generally just me. Private Peaceful, I've... I think I read I did that three years in a row at one school and floods every single time asking a child to carry on. But I love that ex- experiencing emotions with your class. It's really bonding. So you don't shy away from reading something that's too sad or frightening. Do you enjoy reading scary books to them too? Do you know what? Personally, I'm terrible with scary movies, scary books. I can't watch them, can't read them. I get incredibly because I feel like it's happening to me. And I get very anxious. So we did in year four, Podkin one year, which is quite scary in parts, brilliant. But um, some of the kids were like, I dreamt I was a bunny rabbit last night. And I was, and there was, you know, and it was really, I was like, it's, it's quite scary. And I suppose you have to. <laughs> do you choose the books for your class? Do. Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there were so many wonderful, it's such a, such a hard choice. It takes me ages to decide what to read. As a writer and a teacher who enjoys reading aloud a lot to your class, what connections do you see between them having this kind of rich reading experience 
and um, how that supports their writing. So we tend now to teach from books so all our grammar and everything like the comprehension all comes from the, the book that we're doing and I love teaching like that because you get such a you just a deep understanding of it and the kids rather than a standalone comprehension you know oh um it's it's so sort of not relevant to them they can't but when they're into the story you get some brilliant and the writing they produce such an improvement you know if they and you know those little bookworms in your class that are reading there is a definite correlation to how the the writing that they're doing across all subjects and their understanding that and their you know their ability to sort of figure stuff out in history or re or show empathy it's I can't say enough how much it impacts a child's education because the stories just spark little ideas you know from Catherine Rundell in the jungle or you know a Podkin or Frank Cottrell Boyce's millions you know oh my gosh what would you do with money or by spy recently they've loved that and Uma and the answer to absolutely everything you know what could you do just that question like if you had something that could answer all your questions like the writing you get from that and it's sort of based on something so it is yeah it's just like the most important thing I think reading yeah all children have imaginations if anybody ever says to me that but they've got no imagination I just think just not found their way of unlocking that yeah. yet I'm interested to know now that you you're sort of writing as a career as well um how your skills as a writer have impacted on your skills as a teacher oh I like I'm much better at teaching how to write now <laughs> so much better like because I when I started writing I had no clue um and um very quickly learned a lot I still am a little hazy on commas I'm not gonna lie but I you know being able to teach them about story structure and looking out for things and I do that actually often through um looking at films like Disney films you know this is the trough of hell at sing when the auditorium like blows up and nobody knows what's going to go on and oh look here is our climax and then our resolution so you because I'm looking out for it a lot more in stories because I understand how they're structured and before I teach point of view this is you're going to write in first person but now I understand what you what you can do in these different you know perspectives and you can give that to kids so I oh my gosh I'm a much better teacher at how to write stories absolutely because I've recently learned it and I always think if you recently learn something you're much better at teaching it <laughs> when you say you've recently learned that how much came from playing around with the writing yourself how much of that was input from a, a good editor I came to writing quite late and a bit like Lucy, I'd say, you get, I got quite obsessed about it. And I did the right mental course and Curtis Brown. And I read every book I could about writing because Freddie Yates was pretty finished and done. Like my agent didn't have too many edits, but I think a lot of it was through getting it terribly, terribly wrong in the first book that I wrote, which took me a year. And it was, it really was my learning book and that will never come out. But, um, you know, I didn't know about keeping things, you know, the timeline or, you know, tense or who, head hopping. Or I learned so much. Um, and then obviously still learning and hopefully getting better. But I try and take on board everything that my editors say. So it's kind of it comes from all sources, I think, how you get better. And you just have to be open and not take anything personally. I think because I was sporty and 
you know, I'd be constantly told like my technique was wrong in swimming or do that. And I'd be like, how was that? How was that tumble turn? Was it, what could I do? Like, I'm kind of used to getting, well, that kind of feedback mm-hmm. and just taking it on the chin. So it sounds as though there's a third book almost ready to deliver. That's on the fourth one. Since I've been writing, I just can't stop. I'm like at the laptop all the time. I love it. I just crave time to be able to do it. So I've had just lots of ideas that I've been working on and just enjoying. Yeah, it's, I think because I'm still so surprised that I'm an author, like I just want to keep writing until... You know, what, what happens if I'm actually not? Or somebody says, what are you doing? Why are you publishing her? So, um, um, well, well, as born have me, I'm just throwing, throwing manuscripts at them. Um, but yes, yeah, so the next book is um, Grandpa Frank's Great Big Bucket List, which is about a boy who has accidentally left some money in a will because he's got the same name as his dad and the same name as his granddad, which happened in my family and he gets half a million pounds and the instructions to look after his grandfather so he takes him off on like a live your best life bucket list and there's monster trucking and his grandfather's suffering from well he's got dementia so and he's been estranged from the family so it's, again it's like a family building relationships again so yeah, sounds that's- great Jenny I'd love talking to you today it's been great thank you so much it's lovely to talk to somebody that manages to balance if not, not only family job. life and writing but teaching as well thank you so much for talking to me today oh, oh, thank you so much for having me on it's been lovely in the reading corner is presented by nikki gamble and produced by alison hughes if you have enjoyed this podcast please do leave a review for us to find out about other projects including an audience with events and the exploring children's literature summer school visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.